man, is that the Rock News Weekly Podcast? Yeah, man. Well, turn it up, man. This is Rock News Weekly. Every week, we bring you all the latest headlines in rock, metal, indie, grunge, alt, and classic rock news. This week's new releases, this week in music history, trivia, movies, pop culture, and more. Now on to this week's episode. This week on the Rock News Weekly Podcast, week of October 10th, 2022, Season 4, Episode 39. It's Part 1 of our two-part Aftershock coverage for 2022. This week you'll hear the full, unedited interviews from Dead Sarah, Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig, as well as Thrice. Check everything out at rocknewsweekly.com, at rocknewsweekly on all of our socials, and check us out at twitch.tv slash rocknewsweekly when we go live every week. It's time for the Rock News Weekly Podcast. Chris here just kind of getting these interviews ready for you guys this week for our big Aftershock recap. We're going to actually do basically two weeks of Aftershock recap information for you guys. This first week, we are just going to give you the pleasure of listening to these new interviews that we have for you from the guys from Dead Sarah, Thrice, as well as Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig. We're going to just play these interviews for you this week Raw, unedited, in their raw form for you. That's going to be our first episode of the Aftershock recap this week, October 10th. Then next week on the 17th, we're going to go through more in-depth of all the fun stuff that we did out there at Aftershock and give you guys a list of some of our favorites, some of our uh, biggest things that we had out there, some of the things that could have been improved, all that stuff. We're going to do that for you guys next week. This week, enjoy the episodes and a brief recap of our experience at Aftershock 2022. Real quick, some of our favorite standouts from the weekend was definitely Slipknot on Thursday night as the headliner. Absolutely crushed it rob zombie as well bad religion as well as uh, nothing more were really good on thursday on friday lamb of god was definitely the best one for us danzig as well we also got a chance to see meshuga guar clutch a lot of great stuff from those guys really awesome sets on saturday we really enjoyed horror lilith czar Airborne, Man, that dude smashing the beer on his head was a crazy moment. As well as Beartooth, The Chats, and Thrice. Good stuff from those guys. We'll have more in-depth coverage about all of our experiences, our personal favorites, all that stuff next weekend. But this weekend, we're going to focus on our interviews that we got for you at Aftershock 2022. All right, let's get to the interview right now with Dead Sarah. Aftershock 2022, right here on the Rock News Weekly Podcast. Very All right, well. we're, we're out here with uh, a couple of awesome musicians that had the glory and the privilege to be one of the first badass bands to kick off this four-day festival out here. Man, what a set earlier. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, Dead Sarah here with us, Emily and Susie. Thank you Woo! so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, thank you. You guys got started at a really early age. I was reading some of your bio, and apparently you guys were, like, playing guitar at, like, 9, 12 years old. Yeah. How did you guys meet up finally together and start the group? Uh, we met through a mutual friends when we were teenagers, and we never officially started the band. We just started playing together, and then here we are. That's awesome. Yeah, just happened. 
That's cool. You guys go to the same school and same city that you just meet that way? or No, uh, our mutual friend, Diva, they went to school together. Oh, nice. I, okay. I met her later and then introduced me to M and we just... The rest is history. Yeah. And we hung out a lot more before we started a band. Like, nice. we were all friends. Like, we had a really solid group of friends. I think that's what creates a good chemistry for a good band, right? Exactly. Is having that good foundation of a good friendship. Exactly. You guys can... I think Emily asked me if I knew how to tune a guitar by ear and then she was like great let's write songs and that's kind of how it started yeah did you guys geek out that was the the only one yeah yeah absolutely we did listen to so much music the closet at my my dad's house yeah nice that's right oh yeah we've had cops at the at at the front gate many times nice because we were fucking loud motherfuckers Uh, I got to give you guys props. Honestly, I think, like, uh, Hands Up is, like, my new battle Woo-hoo. song. Hell it's yeah. So, it's so good. My I brought I brought my 15-year-old son here with me, and, and we, we must have listened to it, like, five or six times just on the way up here. Woo. It's just, just such an awesome song. So oh, props I love to that. you guys. Thank you. My question's really random. So, uh, like, a couple of years ago, I think, like, around 14 or 15, you guys did two songs for the video game Infamous. Okay. And that, being, like, a total nerd... And ner- nerding out on that, like the heart-shaped box cover yeah. and Weatherman on Infamous was awesome. <laughs> Did you guys play the game? Um, no, I, I'm terrible. I tried doing, like, Guitar Hero or one of those things, and I was god-awful. <laughs> and it was our own song, and I couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. She's a real musician. Yeah. Just couldn't play games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Yeah, my brother did. Oh, yeah. I heard a story about how your name, Dead Sarah, kind of came about from... You misheard the lyrics. I don't know how many times we were talking about it where you mishear song lyrics. Yeah, all the time. For certain things, and you think it's saying one thing or the other. What What's the story behind Dead Sarah and those lyrics? I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's just a misheard lyric, you know? Like, it's Sarah from Fleetwood Mac, you know? And I love that because I'm still discovering lyrics, like uh, to go right. to what you're saying, and it's just like you just feel betrayed. Like it's a funny feeling. Like you've known these songs through it. Yeah, I'm. I literally, I'm like, I've been lied to my whole life, yeah. and you realize that you've just been lying to yourself. Yeah, and that's even worse. Yeah, like you're the one that did it to yourself. Yeah. Excuse me while I kiss this guy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Never oh. thought he said that, but. <laughs> But that is definitely one of the most common ones, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, for, um, for the last album, the opening song, Starry-Eyed. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the, o- the opening track, Starry-Eyed, and then the last track, um, Losing My Mind. Yeah. And then every song in between, uh, Heroes, everything. For me, when I listen to that album, I think of it as the beginning of an epic night or like an epic weekend, the way the song order is leading yeah. to the end, where it's like... Where it's the beginning and then it goes to that kind of synthesized kind of trippy end. What was the inspiration? Did you guys get to pick your song order? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of like a set list, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of energy. You kind of want it to flow into one to another, you know? And it's like a set design. We also always, like every album, we end with like a more ballad kind of emotional song. Right. So we're keeping with that theme. That's cool. Well, speaking of your guys' albums, your first proper album came out in 2012. Everybody's been raving about Weatherman. We, I played at 105.7 The Bear. I'm the program director for our uh, rock station here in Merced. 
I got to say, your single was very refreshing, cutting through the mix of a lot of generic rock and roll out there these days. As a program director who gets bombarded with a ton of stuff, I got to just give you props for um, being yourselves and being a refreshing uh, change in the rock radio world. I really appreciate that. So, seriously, that, Thank that, you. that comes from a place of honesty. I hear a lot of stuff, and you guys are one of those bands that, to me, I feel has just that amazing future and that kind of sound. But it ties into the, a couple of things that I noticed. You guys got Grace Slick and Courtney Love to ba- both basically give you props, and I thought that was really cool. Courtney Love reached out to you. You sung backup vocals, right? Yeah. On one of her albums. Yeah. And then Grace Slick <laughs> said to the Wall Street Journal that you were one of the most uh, the modern singers in the rock world today that she was excited about. It's honestly not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. The power I'm of kidding. Grace Slick's voice and the power of your voice, I think I think that's what spoke to her, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I don't think it's going to fully um, internalize. I don't think I'm going to fully internalize. I don't think I can. I don't think I can, you know? It's just going to be those things. It's like I tell it as a story that's just like this happened, but like almost like as a fable, like... But it's like my story, but I'm telling it like it was somebody else's. Yeah. yeah. Your energy, um, versatility, oh my God, your vocal range. How are you even talking to us right now? <laughs> Seriously. Jeans, baby. Oh, man. It's all in the jeans. It's all in the jeans. <laughs> I love it. It's just, it's, it's like that. Every time, every time I listen to you guys, it's amazing. Just like life, dude. Yeah, yeah big time. You guys went independent. You broke away from Epic Records, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, what we happened never... there? What? Why? You're like, screw this. I want to do it myself. Just uh, disagreements, creatively, financially. What was it? All of that. Yeah, sure. But the first album was we did it on our own, right? And then we were like, let's do it with, you know, a major. And at the time, it seemed like it was the right thing to do right. with this, this, with the management at the time. And we were led to believe that it was something that was going to be really good for us. And we did the album. And then um, it just at that point was just like we're not seeing eye to eye on this. And then they let us go. They were they were gracious enough, but all this stuff really takes a lot of time. And so what we ended up losing was a lot of momentum, unfortunately, you know. And I wish uh, it, this doesn't ever happen to other artists in the future because it's just it's things that we've heard about. It's these kind of scenarios, and we found ourselves in it, unfortunately, you know, just from the the way of the business. But um, I really hope that everything is evolving into a place where artists could be more independent always but you know we are with warner right now i have to say that and we do have a sense of independence as well and they respect that and so that's why it's been a good relationship for us right now do you think that's like the the new kind of i see that a lot now i see a lot of it seems artists are kind of coming out of the independent thing and going back with a label it seems like maybe the labels are starting to get a clue yes and allow that independent freedom right you have to in this day and age with the internet, with the technology, everything. You're like you have to, have to evolve. Um, I've got a ten-year-old buddy out there. His name is Judah, and he's a, he's an awesome little musician. And Chris alluded to you guys starting at the age of like eleven or twelve. Yeah. And then now you're you're. I mean, you guys are playing here. You you played with Chevelle. I mean, like all kinds of other awesome artists. Is there any kind of inspirational words you could give? Because he's going to listen to this. He's going to ask. Any kind of inspirational words you give him as a beginning musician? What I'll tell everybody and what we tell is just stick true to who you are and don't change for anybody. Yep. You just just do it. Even even if it doesn't feel right for somebody else, but it feels true to you, do it. 
Doesn't matter. Just awesome. Do it. All right, and one last thing. If you could improve one thing about Aftershock here, what would you improve? The weather. <laughs> Fuck, Fair dude. enough. Fair enough. Dead Sarah, Emily, Susie, thank you both thank so much you. for being here. Thank you. And thank you for your time. Absolutely. All right, let's get to our interview right now with Tommy Victor from Prong, as well as Danzig, right here on the Rock News Weekly Podcast, Aftershock 2022. All right, we are here at Aftershock Festival with one of the bands lucky enough to to blow the roof off this festival for the first day. Uh, one of the, It was actually the very first band we saw as we came in today because our shit was late and we had a trouble getting here, but... Tommy Victor here from Prong. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it was a good show. It was, it was, I, I was killer, shocked. man. It was killer. Yeah. You were I know, shocked? Was, what do you I, mean? Well, it looked like it was deserted, and then it's like all these people showed up. Then and the then music started, started. And the music started, and then people started beating each other up. So <laughs> it was kind of cool, man. Yeah, like, hell yeah. And then, uh, but it wasn't cool temperature-wise. It was hot oh. up there, man. The sun was right down there. I, ne- I don't think... Maybe once or twice in my 30-year career, I've worn sunglasses on stage. I think it, and I had to do it. And then Jason took his off. No I took shit. mine off. So, yeah, no, it was, we needed it. It was, yeah, it was, it was like, brutal. Uh, I took them off. I'm like, holy. <laughs> anyway, it was great. Thank you, guys. For, it was a very great uh, show for Prong. Hell, yeah. It was yeah. awesome, man. Uh, I, it's my first time seeing you guys. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I never got a chance to see you in the All 90s. All these years? Or any, uh, throughout these years. I was born in 83, so by the time <laughs> I, was, I was, yeah. Three years later, we <laughs> formed. So, yeah. I know, right? So by the time I was of concert age, Prong, like, we, I, I was kind of had some questions on that. Yeah, man. I, I mean, so I want to, before we get into all that, I'm an audio engineer. I went to school in Toronto for recording music. I read some info that you were uh, a sound guy for CBGBs yep. way back in the 80s. Yeah. How did that come about? What was that like? Well, I went uh, to this school called the Institute of Audio Research. And in order to graduate, you had to do an internship. And, uh, like, I hung out. I've been hanging out. I was hanging out at CB since I was, like, 15. Uh-huh. So, like, I, I was on the scene there. And I was like, oh, cool. I mean, so I went over, talked to Carol, who was the manager there in Hilly. And I said, yeah, I got to do, you know, sound. I, I got to do internship. So, like, why don't you just work here? I was like. Like, you can start this weekend. Like, I didn't know nothing wow. about what I was doing. So right off the bat, they threw me in. I go, okay, you start doing uh, you start doing sound at the uh, audition night, Sunday and Monday. Like, right no off the bat. Shit. And I was like, well, I'm not going. I didn't go back to school anymore. I, just, yeah, I was in yeah. the door, so I never finished. So that was how it started. But and you got it, the foot in the door that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I learned. Like, And the guy, this guy, Steve McAllister, was like the head sound guy there. He was just like, I'm like, well, can I... Can you be there with me for the first couple of days? He's like, nope. And he just throw you in the pit. I was like, see those amps? You turn them on, and I don't care what happens after that. I'm not being. It was amazing, and I was just like, "Ah," I figured it out. How long were you there? Oh, for four years. So I went up doing the um, the hardcore matinees all the time. So on Sundays, there's a pretty cool thing about. You working there? Apparently, you met the bass player from Prong there, right? He was a doorman. Yes, exactly. Well, another thing they, they also had, they're like, well, we don't have we really don't have a doorman on some of these days, so like I would do door as well as no sound, shit. yeah. And then um, 
It was it, those were the days too. It was like there were so many bands that came in there on audition night. You're like like Helmet, for instance. I mixed them on audition night, and they're here today. Or, oh, they're here well, this weekend. Okay, you know, I, I didn't run into them, but uh, we were eventually on tour with them. But uh, like, I w- I saw all the bands before they changed yeah. their image, and before. Like you know, it was. It, I, I was like, I remember you were you with you were the guys with the long what? hair and like you know the winger shirt shirts, you know. And now you're like, like oh, like I'm so alternative. And I'm like, no, right. I remember the winger shirt, you know. Like, what what was okay? I was gonna ask you what was your favorite and worst show that you saw at CBGBs. Uh, the quality of bands were always so great. I mean, I must say, I like, the I. I don't recall anything being really that bad. I mean, no, I mean, like, it was a great scene back then. Like, it was every band. I mean, no audition night, there was these terrible bands that came in, like, just clueless. And I, I they, they didn't know that I was the judge, too. So they'd be like, oh, set up, set up this monitor properly for me. And, like, these like being assholes. Yeah. And I'd be like, <laughs> even if they were good, I'd be go, I go, yeah, yeah. I go, Hilly, that band sucked. The owner, he's just like, really? I'm like, yeah, they were terrible. He's like, oh, fuck them. Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They were these guys. Don't even listen to these guys. Yeah. So I was terrible. Be nice to one. your sound guy, exactly. folks. You never know. Exactly. Yeah. Be- only because you said winger. Only because you said winger. Uh-huh. My 15-year-old is here, and he was like, those guys were on Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, it was Stuart had the winger shirt. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You mentioned it, and then yeah. I was like, oh, man, yeah, put two and two. It wasn't yeah. a bad, but actually... They were good, Winger. Yeah. I mean, you look back on them, and they had—they were great players yeah. and a great sort. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You know, a lot of those bands got a bad rap. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I hated it back then, but now I like I like everything, so yeah. it doesn't matter. I have got a crazy question for you, just because I'm talking about my 15-year-old son, but uh, but he used to play that that badass game, Brutal Legend. Okay. And snap your finger, snap your neck is on the game. I didn't know that. Brutal Legend. I never get royalties for any of this stuff. I, I mean, I mean, we, we were we were researching, and, and we, we he was like, ask him about that, and I'm like, I didn't know. Did you even play it? Yeah, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple yeah, of times. Like, huh? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of times they just release. We we signed one of those crappy record deals where like oh, like we had to sign a publishing deal with. With Sony and the record deal, so then they so, get like carte blanche to use your songs like whatever they want. Well, that, not only yeah. that, but like we to pay off, we, we have to pay a certain amount of our publishing royalties goes to our record recording oh, advances, fuck that. and like we're like in debt forever for them. Like like we, back in the day, it was like sixty dollars, six sixty thousand dollars per video back in the day, and they, yeah, I mean the videos were like oh we'll do two videos from. You know, that'd be oh 120 grand. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, everything, recording costs were unbelievably expensive. So, like, we owe them so much money. Fuck. So, everything, all royalties go back into that pot. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome, well, was that with Epic Records? Were you yeah, talking? Sony, yep. yeah. So, leading up to that, like, okay, so a lot of people know Prong broke up in 96. What, what was that part of it? What you're talking about, that kind of sour. Uh, well, the grunge came them. around, and like you know, no one knew what Prong was doing. Like there was no way to market it. Like, and then we were doing sort of new metal before new metal happened. Yeah, that's right. We were doing sort of like industrial metal before that was coined, but we were still like a hardcore band and like a metal they band. Figure out how to no, market it was it. never. It was, it, it it was, it was tough to have to be Prong on a major label. It just did. 
We had, you know, Snap Your Finger, Snap Your Neck, which was a big hit. But other than that, it was hard for them. So we got dropped. And I was just like, then I started playing with Glenn. Yeah, how did that come about? Well, I I knew Glenn for for ages. So, and then he was always sort of a prong fan. Yeah, so um, when John Christ left, they got me to play with initially. So I did like a couple of years with Glenn. Then, like, I didn't, I was thinking about quitting for a while. And then eventually I got back to playing with them. And I played with Ministry for a long time, too. And then uh, Prong was sort of secondary. But we've been putting out a lot of records. Like Prong signed to uh, SPV about, well, yes, yeah, 10 years ago now. So yeah, we Yeah. So we've put out six records with them since that time. And then we have a new one coming out next year. Well, yeah, right in the nice. middle of recording. Yeah, I mean, it's produced by Steve Evitz, who did Carved Into Stone. And then he produced... A lot of Suicide Silence records and all the Dillinger Escape Plan records. Oh, that was 2012, right? Yeah, that's he did that. So I'm back with him, and he moved out. He, I moved back to New York, and he moved at the same time back to Jersey. So we recorded at his studio. So you, yeah. since you mentioned, since you mentioned it, you mentioned working with Ministry. You've got uh, working with Al Jorgensen, uh, Trent Reznor, uh, multiple people over yeah. the years, like huge artists. But but your yeah. whole discography maintains that same level of sound. But you've got all these influencers. A- any any impact on your music, or have you just been able to like keep it solid? No, because I was like, like I learned to be a professional, like a, a hired gun dude. Like where, like I like like if you go in and work on a ministry record, it's Al's vision. So like I try to. You know, like do that. You know, and like with Glenn too. Like I, I play on a lot of Danzig records, and it's just it's all about Glenn. Like I, I take myself out of it, and I try to make his vision come yeah, through. So yeah, They have no, it has nothing to do with prong. Prong's my thing, and I could do, you know, like well, my own thing. Yeah. What's it, what's it like being able to do both here at the festival? Being prong? I have a dancer tomorrow. It's a pain in the ass <laughs> a lot of ways because, like, I had to fly in to L.A. to rehearse with Danzig. And then they get man. on a plane and kind of like send the other prong guys out here, and then like it's just our schedule is just absolutely insane. We did a couple of local shows in New York before we to warm up for this, and then um, then I had to fly out to Danzig rehearsal, fly up here, came, did this show, and then tomorrow do Glenn, and then we have to fly back home to New York, and then go to we have a South American tour. So we oh wow, down, yeah. when does that start? That starts Monday. Holy yeah. shit. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah, it's a lot. All right. So about Aftershock Festival here. I know you've been around the world. You see many shows, many festivals. This is a good festival. If, yeah. if there's one thing you can improve and one thing that you really like about it, what could you the, tell I our I think the listeners? location is absolutely fantastic because it's in the city. It's not like way the hell out. Uh, I haven't gone the whole grounds already, but, but like the, the organization is fantastic. Like, you know, the, the, everyone that worked here was a professional. We got really good equipment. They took really take care of us. Like, the backstage area is great. I, I mean, like, this is amazing. The Artist Lounge. I mean, it's really a, a, a top-notch festival. So uh, I've been played. Hey, dude, I've played them all, like, uh, many, many times. And this is, this is of equal caliber to the, the big ones, you know, like Vakken and Hellfest. So, uh, you know, kudos to these guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tommy. You're Thanks, a busy Chris. man. Thank you so much thank for you taking guys. your time out of your day for this. Charles, really appreciate you. it. Thank, thank you, you so much, guys. Thank you guys. And now a message from one of our sponsors. Kids, 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 kids. 
Do you like corn? Do you like camp? Are you tired of the same boring routine in that dull Midwestern opiate-infested farm town? Punching walls in the arms of your friends and moshing in your stepdad's basement like a freak? Are you a freak? You're a freak! Then head down to our kids' camp in sunny Bakersfield, California, where we've remodeled 40 acres of shitty asphalt, old dollar stores, and tire shops into an Iowan-style corn maze and campground just for you, freak! Two weeks of 10-hour day camp courses brought to you by our favorite new metal group, Corn, Corn, Corn. Each day is jam-packed with individual lessons from these grindy, whiny, screaming giants of rock, including Wednesday to Sunday, four-hour nightly sessions on head bandana folding straight from bassist Reginald Fieldy Arvizu, a daily two-hour nature walk, spotting both alive and dead ground squirrels with James Monkey Schaefer on the side of California's infamous Interstate 5. Yeah! An incredible three-hour-long daily lesson with frontman Jonathan Spunky Davis on how to effectively ruin a hard-ass song with the 30-second interlude of whiny voice and out-of-sync instruments. As a special treat, former band member Brian Head Welch personally crawls under the blankets by your feet to wake you at 4 a.m. with fervent prayer whispers, then leads you to a wet spot in a lawn where he anoints you with the soot in the name of evangelical Jesus Christ. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as in an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's pretty disturbing. Bless, 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 bless. Hour of Power by 10-time Academy Award nominee and Moon Children of Bulganathon cult veteran, Tildy Sweeney-Doo. My God! Bedtime loudspeaker reading of Maze for the Gods, unearthing the 9,000-year-old history of corn, and much, much, much more! So tell your parents to get online now, you freak! Wow, corn camp sounds so cool! They better fucking bust out that almost maxed out credit card and visit www.corncampwithallks.com and bust a load of 2K on the best damn three weeks of your life at Corn Camp. Corn Camp. Corn Camp. Not an officially licensed product. Corn Camp not legally tied to ban corn. Special taxes and rates may apply. Not available to residents in the state of Wisconsin or to Fred Durst or any Limp Biscuit affiliates. All rights reserved. Rocknewsweekly.com. All right, let's get to our interview right now with the guys from Thrice, Aftershock 2022, right here on the Rock News Weekly Podcast. Chris here with Charles, Rock News Weekly Podcast, 105.7 The Bear, uh, with an awesome band that we cannot wait to see today. We have the pleasure of interviewing before their set, uh, Thrice. We got Tepe and Dustin here. How are you guys? Pretty good. Hello. Good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we got lots of questions. Uh, off the bat, uh, Charles is a super fan, so just uh, you're going to hear some very in-depth questions that we have for you guys. That's good. <laughs> um, let's just start in the beginning, though. Um, I want to talk about just you guys are California locals here. You're from Irvine. Uh, you guys grew up in the California rock scene and all that stuff way back in 1998, and I heard you guys actually started when you were in high school together and another band called Chapter 11 or something like that. That's so weird. That, that must be... A- Floating like that's a, it's a name that we just sorry we just got asked about that too. Uh, it's a name that we I think it must have mentioned in some interview that we talked about maybe naming the band but never actually did. So yeah, we named it thrice to play the first show and 
always regretted it a little bit, but never <laughs> figured we could change it after that. So was it? It was like a joke or something. Yeah, or it was just, just like yeah. a, a friend joke with us, and it was. We named it because we had a show, and then we made an EP, and then we made a record, and then it was like, it's too late, yeah. So, But it took us like a couple records before we stopped thinking, could we change it? When I was, when I was 15, I started a punk rock band called Show Enough, and we, we took us four months to come up with a name, and we never played a single show. Not a single show. Was it like Show Enough, like S-H-O, yeah. apostrophe, N-U-F-F? Yeah like, yeah, like Bruce Leroy, Show Enough, the Shogun of Harlem. Nice. Um, I, 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 I read that, that you guys kind of were skaters and you kind of started off like in the garage. Uh, so I guess my, my question's more of a personal one because I think like we're around the same age. Do you guys still skate? Uh, yeah, so Ed, Ed and I are the skateboarders in the group. Yeah, we, we still skate. Um, yeah, I, I messed up my knee like not that long ago. Not from skateboarding. Well, originally from skateboarding. <laughs> I had an ACL surgery like years ago. Um, and so that's been acting up lately. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I've, yeah, we, we skate a decent amounts. So, like, Ed and I skate together a lot, too. You guys skate in between, like, shows or all, all, off the time where when you go to cities, is it a stress reliever kind of thing or just get your mind off of stuff? Or? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, we, we, tr- we try and bring our boards on every tour we do. And then uh, Ed and I skate, like, when we're at home, we'll, we'll go skate, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Since you kind of started around that time, like in the you know mid late nineties, like was there any like heavy influencers on the band that that really kind of hit home for you as you started up? Like s- skating? Or, or no, 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 oh. just like just in that era, kind of late nineties, like. Um, as far as like, so influenced on the band, yeah. I mean, our early stuff was really like us mixing, uh, a lot of like West Coast punk with Iron Maiden. Yeah, and a little East East Coast hardcore thrown in the mix. Uh, yeah, that was like, I think really what we were trying to do. Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to skateboarding. Like, I think especially for Ed and I, like a lot of our musical input was from skate videos. Yeah, yeah so like, yeah. you know, like the Iron Maiden thing came in. I think from like watching old Zero videos and like. Yeah. Uh, oh, didn't they have Hollywood in the name? Yeah, yeah, Jamie Thomas's part in the end of, uh, what was that? Welcome to Hell. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I think, you know, I think regionally, just the, the area that we grew up in and shows we were going to, but also, yeah, skate videos, honestly. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, skateboarding for me, like, I remember growing up, that, uh, watching those videos, that was, like, my exposure to bands that I had never heard of from the East Coast or bands that maybe were on the Warp Tour. I was, you know, just hearing about bands like Quicksand and other from the East Coast that were tearing it up. And you see them on a skate video and you're like, man, I'm an instant fan. So, yeah, I could totally relate to that. That's awesome. I wanted to talk about something, though, with you guys with your charities. You guys are, like, really involved in a lot of charities. It seems like throughout your career I was looking all different types of charities and stuff. Um, It seems like right out the gate you were involved in that. Some bands, it takes them a while to get to that point to start supporting charities and different things maybe in their community. What inspired you guys to do that, like, right out the gate with charities? Uh, We were doing, I mean, we're always down to, you know, partner with a cause or whatever, but we also started out when we signed with Hopeless uh, they have a subdivision of the label um, called Subcity, which is who we actually signed with. And part of what they do is 5% of each record goes to a certain charity. So, um, yeah, we actually stopped doing it, like, dedicated from each record just because we were moving record labels and it became hard to try to transfer it through and be like, hey, you need to do this. Like, we're not set up to do that. And then it became, like, almost too much of a talking point. We felt like it was like, I'm not trying to be, like, 
savory, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I can see getting caught up in that. Absolutely, I've got a big fanboy question. It's just something that's just been driving me bonkers ever since I started listening to you guys. Um, so there's a lot of mythology woven into your songs. There's like a lot of it, um, but the music also kind of fits perfectly with like those themes. Um, I, I, I like I hear a lot of Greek mythology kind of woven in there, like early songs from artists in the ambulance all the way up to like Daedalus and stuff like that. Where where does that come from? Greece. No, um, uh, no I just I, I've always liked trying to pull from a larger uh, source sometimes because a song is a very short thing. It's very limited in how many words are in there. So if you're telling a story, sometimes it can be helpful to adapt from another story and take a particular angle on it. So a lot of it's filled in from people having like, you know, either it's something, an old myth that a lot of people know, something biblical a lot of people know. Like it's something where you can play with it without having to elaborate and tell the entire story. Um, yeah, so it's fun. I don't know. I like books. Yeah. My conspiracy brain, I go back like albums way back and I try to connect them to see if you guys wove those stories in. There's a couple, right? I mean, yeah, I, well, I know that Daedalus and, and Melting Point of Wax are definitely yeah. connected, but yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, I have to say that nothing nothing gets me more pumped, I would say, when, when I'm out maybe riding a bike or something still to this day than like Hoods on Peregrine. Oh, yeah. That, okay. We don't, we don't hear a lot, a lot of... Uh, People talk about that song. We like it. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad. I've, I've got my, my little like kind of list of, of like my favorite Thrice songs, and that's definitely one. Uh, the Earth Will Shake is like another one, and I, I got to see you guys actually do that on tour when you played in Fresno. And um, I, I kind of always wanted to ask you what the backstory of that song is. Um, I don't know if I would even say. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, the, the initial piece of it started from an old Alan Lomax recording uh, of Chain Gangs. So he would do a bunch of field recordings of different folk stuff, uh, things like just music that was happening that was not like on the radio or anything. It's just people's music. It's I don't know if you're familiar with Alan Lomax, no. but it's, it's really, really fascinating. He was like probably early-ish 1900s, early to like mid-1900s, and he would just go around the world really and just document different folk music that was happening that was like without him documenting I think you would never hear it because it was so like localized and so small you know that's awesome uh, but anyway yeah so Alan Lomax yeah nice well you guys I mean you've always had like concept albums and it, it seems like the, the themes of your albums are very thought out um, and I heard this new album that you actually have 20 songs recorded and 10 haven't been released yet is that true? kind of uh, Can you tell us any it, details on that? So we were making a record, and then <laughs> it's it's a convoluted story. But we were making it. We had more songs that we wanted to make. We didn't want to make a super long record, and then we decided, what if we made these kind of sister records? Um, yeah, that would be tied together, and we'll just make them both at the same time or whatever. And in the end. It bit off a bit more than we could chew in a certain sense. So we made the first record, and we're like, all right, here we go. And then we realized we were all kind of uh, spent at that point, and 
then we looked around and we're like we don't have to do this right now and uh like it's it was it's like we were not in the headspace to do it we'd never we'd never done that like finished record and be like okay another record now and uh so we decided all right how about we don't do that right the second and so what was going to be kind of all part of the same session is probably going to end up being almost an entirely new record that is still tied to that other record um more in theme now i think but there are pieces of it um that are in place already that will come through but we've released two singles now that were some of the stuff that was going to be on the other one but now are just like kind of floating songs but uh oh no it'll be we oh wow because we have something else coming out next year that we can't talk about yet uh that's totally different and then after that we will put out horizons west i when chris told me that i, I was like oh no that's a very thrice thing to do like i thought that was a game plan because the alchemy index is you know those those albums. I mean, it's still it doing that. It's just yeah. it's delayed and yeah. it's a bit different than we originally thought. So yeah, for sure. No, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, Tepe, man, the leather and canvas working on the side. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you're a noise maker and a thing maker. I I'm I'm trying to figure out how the hell you have time. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I so yeah. I, I had like a, a side kind of hustle where I, I had a company where I was making all that stuff but I closed shop maybe almost like two years ago or so yeah. now yeah uh, just literally because I just I was like I don't have enough time to dedicate to this and it was actually something that like we took a break for a while as a band and so for those few years uh, that we were taking a break like I actually was doing that full time and so it was yeah. something that like I put a lot of myself into and I felt like I was letting it kind of die a slow death like of neglect, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, it's better to just wrap it up and just call it a day. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that. But it, it's been... He's building guitars now. Oh, you're building guitars now? Well... It... I, like, I, read you were, I read you were coffee roasting and all kinds of stuff there for a minute. I, yeah, I do. I yeah. do roast coffee at home, yeah. I, I was thinking, because I think, what, was Beggars, like, right after the... When you guys separated and came back? I think it was around that time. No, no. It was... Uh, was it... Be- yeah, a couple before... Uh, Major Minor, I think, was the last record. Yeah. And then we took that break and came back with To Be Everywhere is To Be Nowhere. I kind of, when, when when the break happened, I was like, I wonder if they found their zen. Because you've got, you know, the hardcore, fast-paced stuff. And then the real kind of super, super like, soulful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was chilling on an island in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and, like, I, I was I, honestly, like... I, I, that was a really nice time in my life, honestly. I, I think just really, like, that break was instrumental for a lot of things. Just coming back from it, like, new appreciation for each other and for what we're doing. And we had, we had just been going insanely for 13 years straight. So <laughs> that it, break, right? Yeah, it was good. Uh, I, I, I feel like our headspace coming out of it is just a very different thing. I don't think we would be where we are, I think, headspace-wise, had we not taken that break. It, it allowed us to step back and kind of come at it afresh in a good way, I think. Right on. Um, we know you guys got to get going here. One last thing about Aftershock. I like to ask one thing that you love about Aftershock so far and one thing that you could see for an improvement for Aftershock from an artist's perspective. We've only been here a couple of hours, but... Uh Catering was D's. Our dressing room trailer is the nicest I've ever been in. Uh, 
there's free coffee and drinks backstage. Uh, it's it's not bad. I, I you, you could turn the temperature down a little bit, and you could face yeah. the stage not into the sun during our set. Yeah. But that's uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah. Every uh, every every artist yesterday was make commenting on stage. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of I don't know. It's kind of like perfect, right? There's so you guys gonna do like stare at the sun and no, no, <laughs> no way, not at all. Uh, yeah. I have, okay. One one last question for me. I have to ask it um, to both of you, Dustin. Favorite thrice song? I would say favorite at the moment, not like favorite of all time, but just one that I'm like more proud of recently is I really like the color of the sky the first song on the latest record uh, it's just got a lot of different things going on and uh, it's a cool vibe I like it yeah nice I, I was gonna go with that one too oh you uh, were oh look at that yeah I mean like for, yeah for the same you know not not like of all time or anything like that but uh, I don't know I'll yeah I feel like it it, it, it sort of like encapsulates a lot of what we've done in the past into kind of one thing, but it also feels a little fresh, so that's kind of cool. Awesome. I don't know. That's hence us trying to open the record with that song. You know, we felt like it kind of summarized what we were trying to do as a yeah. whole. Right on. Thank you guys so much for cool. your time. Thank you, Dustin Tepe from Thrice. Thank you guys. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed our interview episode here of Aftershock 2022. Tune in next week as we go through our personal favorites as well as all of our experiences out there at Aftershock 22 as part two of our Aftershock coverage continues here in 2022. Thanks for checking it out this week, guys. We'll see you next week. Peace.